And now let's try and tune in to no good music from an undisclosed location somewhere in New Jersey. That style, playing guitar. When that comes on, you're out on the dance floor. Miami still rocks, man. Am I going to listen to this again? And that's definitely going to be a theme. (laughs) (laughs) You can't make this shit up. No. Everybody, this is Rob and Jeremy, and we are on show forty-nine. Today, we're talking about the four Kiss solo albums. <laughs> so that's our main topic. And uh, before we get into that, we're going to do our albums turning fifty, forty, thirty. Now it's been a while since I saw Jeremy. Even though we did a, the podcast came out in August, I think we recorded in July. So a lot's happened with Jeremy. Jeremy got married. (laughs) (laughs) He's got three kids now. Yeah. Yeah. Triplets. A lot happens in a month. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. So, um, we're going to, back to October, 1973. And uh, album's turning 50, and I have a couple news stories from October, October 17th. It was the 1973 oil crisis. Mm. Now, what does that have to do with music? Well, it caused a shortage of the vinyl needed to manufacture the records. And a number of new albums were either delayed or only available in limited quantities until after the holiday season. And then October 20th, Queen Elizabeth opens the Sydney Opera House. Now, these albums I picked, I'm sure you've heard of one of them, Jeremy, from 73. Okay. (laughs) There weren't too many good ones (laughs) from October, except this first one, uh, October 5th, Elton John releases his seventh studio album, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. That's a good album. And this was a double LP. Uh, The album has sold more than 20 million copies worldwide. And uh, among the 17 tracks, the album contains uh, Candle in the Wind, Benny and the Jets, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, and Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, plus a live favorite, Funeral for a Friend, Love Lives Bleeding. Now, this was recorded at Studio, and I'm going to butcher this name, D.N. Registrantment. (laughs) that's what it looks like to me Uh, at the Chateau oh my god the Horville in France the album became a double LP once John and his band became inspired by the location they were in the album was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2003 and Bernie Taupin wrote the lyrics in just two and a half weeks with John composing most of the melodies in three days which is incredible. It is. While he was staying at the Pink Flamingo Hotel in Kingston, Jamaica. 
And the working titles for the album were Vodka and Tonics and Silent Movies Talking Pictures. <laughs> Those were the two titles they had. So John had wanted to go to Jamaica in part because the Rolling Stones had just recorded Goat's Head Soup there. So the production on the album was started in Jamaica in January 73. But due to difficulties with the sound system and studio piano, logistical issues arising from the Joe Frazier-George Foreman boxing match, which took place in Kingston, and there were protests over political and economic situations in the country, the band decided to move to a different location. I mean, I don't know if it's safer now, but there are stories of, you know, that's where a lot of people recorded. And there was, I think it was, oh, we talked, we probably talked about this a couple of times with ACDC, mm-hmm. where they were given a machete. Yep. Yep. <laughs> they were told not to walk, even though it wasn't that far back to their, where they were staying. Another album, uh, and again, I don't understand, there's, there's no date, release date on some of these. So this is October 73 with Susie Quattro. She released her debut album. And in Australia, the album was titled Can the Can. It reached the top 50 in the charts in several territories, peaking at number 32 in the UK, four in Germany, two in Australia. And once I finish this, I, I have something to talk about Australia. The album didn't do so well in the US. It came in around number 150 on the charts. But of course, this was before she was on Happy Days. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe if uh, you know, she was on Happy Days and then released an album. She was Leather Tuscadero. Mm-hmm. And the can, can the Can became her most successful hit, reaching number one in the charts in several European countries and Australia. And it peaked at number 56 in the U.S. So one of the past podcasts I mentioned that I didn't know if anyone in Australia, I don't know why it came up, knew where New Jersey was. Right. So I got an email <laughs> from one of the listeners in Australia, and his name, I'll give a shout out to Ken Cook. And we've become kind of friends through Facebook and messaging, and he's really in the music. He started listening to the podcast in January. So thank you, Ken, for being a um, loyal listener. Loyal listener. <laughs> now we go to October 83, 40 years ago. And there's no music news for 83 in October. Nothing happened. Wow. Yeah. According to Wikipedia. Okay. I was going to guess a Cars album came out, but 80, I guess not. Maybe, but not in October. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know yeah. the year, to be honest, but it <clears throat> sounds like the time frame. It was before Jeremy was... Yeah, around it was shortly before me <laughs> so october 3rd 1983 uh, genesis released their 12th studio album and it was self-titled yep. so following the band's tour in support of their 1982 uh, live album three sides live genesis took an eight month break before they regrouped in the spring of 83 record the new album it is their first written and recording in its entirety at their studio named the farm in Chittingford, Surrey, and the songs were developed through jam sessions in the studio with nothing written beforehand. Oh, wow, that's cool. It was the group's greatest commercial success at the time. It was their 
third straight album to reach number one on the UK charts and uh, reached number nine on US Billboard 200, where it sold four million copies. So we had the songs uh, Mama, and it remains the highest charting Genesis single in the UK, which reached number four, and That's All, which became the band's first top ten hit. And the band toured uh, for the album in 83, 84, and uh, recordings from which formed the concert video Genesis Live the Mama Tour. And in 1985, the album received a Grammy Award nomination for Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocal. And Second Home by the Sea was nominated for Best Rock Instrumental. And then we have, we have a bunch of these. I might not go into too much detail, but October 10th, 83 Culture Club <laughs> released their second album, Color by Numbers. <laughs> and it spawned the hit single Karma Chameleon, Certified Platinum in the UK and quadruple platinum in the U.S. It's ranked number 96 on Rolling Stone magazine's list of 100 best albums of the 80s. Okay. There's two other songs that were kind of hit songs, Miss Me Blind and Church of the Poison Mine. And then we have October 14th, 83, Cindy Lauper. And it was her debut. She's so unusual. So before recording the album, Cindy was in a band called Blue Angel, and she was approached many times with offers to go solo but wouldn't do it without the rest of the band. But after falling out with their manager, who was suing them for $80,000, Cindy had to file for bankruptcy, and she began working in retail stores and singing in local clubs. Wow. But in 81, while singing in a local New York bar, uh, Cindy met David Wolf, who took over as her manager. And with his help, she signed with Portrait Records, which was a subsidiary of Epic in the spring of 83, and she began recording her debut. And six singles were released from this album. Of course, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, and we got Time After Time. I love that song. And that became our first number one hit. And then She Bop and All Through the Night. And this made Cindy Lauper the first female singer to have four top five singles on a Hot 100 from one album. Wow. This is before Taylor Swift, kids. <laughs> I thought it crossed my mind. Four. I was like, yeah. yeah. She won two Grammy Awards at the 27th Grammy Awards. Uh, Best New Artist was one of them. So it sold over 6 million, million copies in the U.S. and 25 million worldwide. And it ranked number 494 in Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. That's kind of low on the list, but still. It's still impressive, though, when yeah. you think about it. And then we have a couple of others. A lot were released in October 83. Okay. John Cougar Mellencamp, uh-huh, had Pink Houses Crumbling Down, the authority song. Nice. And it was the first use of his full name, John Cougar Mellencamp. And then October, I don't have a date on this, 83, Pat Benatar, Live from Earth, which was their first live album. But it also included a couple of new songs, one of which was Love is a Battlefield. I was going to ask if Love is yeah. a Battlefield. Which, actually, there. have you ever heard, I think it's Jordan Sparks or something? Yeah, I've heard of her. I think she was on American Idol. Yeah, she was. She redid that song and actually did a pretty good job with it. I don't oh, know okay. if you've ever heard it or not, but it's not the same beat. It's the same kind of concept, but it's a different spin on the song, and I thought she did a great job. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. And then we go to October 93. I don't have any music news. 
And I'm not going to go into details, but these are the albums that came out 30 years ago. Okay. Weird Al, Alapalooza, Pearl Jam versus, and you probably haven't heard of this band, but Letters to Cleo. I was a big fan of them. They were from Boston. And I love this, the title of their album, Aurora Gory Alice, it's called. And I just posted on uh, Instagram, because I do my Fridays, I do my 50 Years of Cheap Trick. Mm-hmm. My favorite version of I, I Want You to Want Me is, is by them. Interesting. And uh, we had Sarah McLaughlin fumbling towards ecstasy, crash test dummies, mm. God shuffled his feet with the mm mm song. Mm-hmm. Once there was a <laughs> girl who. And 10,000 Maniacs, MTV Unplugged. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish they'd bring back MTV Unplugged. A lot of big bands were on MTV Unplugged. Yeah, I, I love MTV Unplugged because it, I think it began as an unplugged, maybe, you know, where you didn't have an electric instrument, but then I think they'd plug in the acoustic. Yeah. I remember the first unplugged album I ever had was Nirvana. I, I think we've talked about that before, but. Yeah, that's one I like. Eric Clapton, you know, even the Smithereens uh, were on the second one, the second uh, unplugged. Wow. The Smithereens. Yeah, there was a lot of good stuff uh, came out of it. I don't know why they can't do that anymore. I guess because you have Cardi B unplugged. <laughs> <laughs> Just her in a microphone yeah, rapping. Great. Yeah. And speaking of Cardi B, no. <laughs> Hold on. Wop. <laughs> oh, I'm going into something here. Oh, boy. So next I'm going to talk about some new music that's coming out, stuff that I've been listening to. But before that, I have a new segment. What's Rob's Beef? Oh. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Okay. So I'm going to mention this now, but I know it's old news. I'm going to talk about the top 40, top 10, right? Now, I have no problem with hip hop. I don't particularly like rap or dance. But why is it so raunchy? How do these songs make it? I know it's sales, but we went after Dean Martin. I didn't, but some people did, right? <laughs> yep. We're talking to December 2018. Might have been a little bit before that. You know, Dean Martin had a, he had a Christmas album, of course. But, you know, baby, it's cold outside. He just wanted this girl to be safe. The roads were bad, right? Mm-hmm. And he didn't want her to get pneumonia. It's in the song. Yeah. But we, we kind of picked it apart. Why? Why that song? You know, after, what, 60 years? Right? The rapey song? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there was nothing um, blatant in the song. Mm-hmm. But now you have songs on the top 10 that tell it all. Oh, yeah. They're even getting radio airplay. Now, not on the, you know, they're not getting play on, like a rap song or hip-hop's not getting play on a, a regular... Um, you know, rock station or anything. Right. But the hip hop stations. Now, December 5th, 2018, I found this article and Dean Martin's song was banned. Um, Cleveland's WDOK says, put its foot down, announcing that it would be banning the song. Hmm. Host Glenn Anderson wrote on the station's website, the world we live in is extra sensitive now and people get easily offended. Yep which is true, which bugs me, but 
But in a world where Me Too has finally given women the voice they deserve, the song has no place. So fast forward to now. We have a song that went to number four. It's currently number 10. Now, if we're talking about women and, uh, you know, to be respectful of women, I'm going to read you some lyrics from this song. Now, I'm not trying to be shock, shock value or anything. And if there's any kids listening, you might want to turn the volume down. <laughs> this is by hip-hop artist known as Gunna. The song is called Fuck You Mean. That's the, that's the title. Mm-hmm. It went to number four. Now, if the song was actually good, or even okay, but the lyrics I have a problem with. Okay. And only because it's, I feel that, you know, young kids, even like 12-year-old, 13-year-olds are looking at these top 10 songs, maybe. I don't know. I don't think they're hearing them on the radio. I mean, because now you can go on Apple Music or anything and just pick a song. Right. And it depends on your parents what you're listening to. So here are three random lines from the song. <laughs> here we go. Fucking this bitch like a perv. Now he's calling women bitches, which I guess is okay. <laughs> is it? But Dean Martin never said, <laughs> said you know, bitch, it's cold outside. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Can't take that. <laughs> Wait your turn. Mm. And then this is the best one. All, all of my bitches is pretty. They show and they. These. It's up to the ceiling. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So that's your, that's your top 10. And I know there's other t- songs on the top 10 there. Not that bad. We won't get into WAP, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so then, that's, that's the beef, huh? Well, and then in Forbes, it says, Gunna's Fuck You Mean is also poised to become another huge win for the hip-hop talent. Wow. All right. And I don't think that's talent to write lyrics like that, but that's my own. So that's my beef. And hopefully a lot of people agree with me, but what can we do? Cancel you know? culture. We can start a petition. We got to cancel the raunchy stuff. We can the start a stuff. movement. We can start a, a Facebook group, a mm-hmm. Twitter account. Yeah. Get the word out there to end. Okay. We're going to do it. nasty lyrics. Yeah. It's going to be hashtag stop the nasty lyric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So now I have some, what I think is decent music. What I think is decent music. <laughs> well, maybe some people. I want people to check. I I, I mention these because I want people to just check these bands out, especially the ones you haven't heard of. There's a, I don't think it's a band. I think it's just a person called Blonde Shell. Mm-hmm. Her real name's Sabrina Tettlebaum. She's from New York, um, but she's based in L.A. She had a single come out uh, July 7th called Cartoon Earthquake. But I love her voice. Uh, it's almost like Phoebe Bridgers, which I like. A uh, little bit more upbeat. She also has a... Her album came out in... Actually, her album... Uh, she has a self-titled album which came out in April. So we got... I think I have these in order of when they came out. So Now here's one we know. Alice Cooper. Yep. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to Alice. I've heard it. I've heard the album one time, but I haven't gone back to it. Yeah, it's called The Road. It came out August 25th. Yep. And Bob Ezrin co-wrote and produced this album, who also produced Destroyer by Kiss. I think it's a solid album. Uh, 
I liked his last album, Detroit Stories. Mm -hmm. This is a good, fun rock album. What I love about Alice Cooper, if people don't really know his music, he's he's actually pretty hilarious, you know. The one song I want to talk about is called Big Boots. And I swear this sounds like something else. (laughs) I swear it sounds like Big Boobs. Hmm. Because the one lyric is, but I was still thinking, what a woman, what a pair. And I played it for my wife. She's like, no, he's talking about her boots. I maybe is. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I noticed this song has a familiar guitar riff in it. Now, the other person I like uh, is Olivia Rodrigo. I don't know why, but I just, because she's fun pop. I listen to all kinds of music. But she got... um, she got called out on one of her songs called Brutal, which was her first album, which they claimed was a ripoff of Elvis Costello's Pump It Up. Now, this song, Big Boots, has the same, almost the same guitar riff hmm. in it. In the beginning of the song, and then I think it's kind of faded out in the rest of the song, but, you know, after a while, a lot of songs sound like other songs. Right. And if you listen to enough music, you'll be like, I hate when I hear something and I'm like, I know that sounds like something and I can't figure out what it sounds like. Yep, for sure. And I just need to know. So speaking of Olivia Rodrigo, she just came out with her album September 8th called Guts, which is her second album. I listened to this album twice already, um, just in the last day. Okay. Because it's pop, it's fun. The other thing is, she was on the Today Show the other day and I realized... She's not a good singer, live. (laughs) She's obviously, her voice is enhanced in the studio. And she's probably got, I haven't seen her, but I'm assuming she's probably attractive. Yeah. Which usually helps. (laughs) She was, I think, a Disney person, Ah, right? There you go. But her songs are, her band, whoever is playing guitar, drums, she's got a good band behind. It's not just like a beat. Mm -hmm. It's actual, like, good... I mean, I wouldn't say it was rock, like pop rock, I say. But I have, a, I have another problem because I'm watching a Today Show and all these uh, girls, I don't know how old they are, but they're pretty, they're like, I'd say they're like 13, 14. You know, there's some older people there. But she's not really for like the 12, 13, 14-year-olds. Like she's not like, you know, bubblegum pop or anything. Half of her songs or more than half are explicit. Okay. She says fuck a lot. She loves the word goddamn in the songs. <laughs> but I feel this this album should sell, you know, a lot. Um, her first album did very well. And she has a good, uh, I think, month and a half before Taylor Swift puts out her next album. So, <laughs> there you go. So she, she should get on the charts. Taylor's still on, well, we're new color every couple of weeks, right? Album. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to talk about that in a, in a minute here. Now we have Willie Nelson. It's titled Bluegrass, and yes, it's a bluegrass album. And there's a couple of songs that I, I listen to. I like Willie. And I can't believe he's still putting music out. <laughs> no, Jeremy, I want you to guess what, how many albums or what this album number is. And you won't believe it. 89. Oh, no. It's his 74th. Okay. So. <laughs> 74th album. I, I knew it had to yeah. be something... Insane. Yeah. So I guess he's been putting albums out since he was like two or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, he's got to be yeah. in his late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, yeah, he's I think close to ninety. Uh, September fifteenth, that comes out. Uh, Brian Setzer, The Devil Always Collects, September fifteenth. Now, three songs have been released. This is going to be a great album. Like I listen to these three songs. The title track, the title track's not the best out of the three. It's a rockabilly song, of course. But it's like Fast and Furious. Um, the one I like is Girl on a Billboard. Mm. Girl on the Billboard. It's a rockabilly song, but it's a, it has a story. And it's, I love this song. He drives by this billboard every day. And he sees this girl on the billboard. And she's only wearing, he says, a smile and a towel. Mm. And he thinks about her every day. And then the end of the song, there's a surprise in that he, he realizes it's not a real person that he meets the guy who painted the billboard. So it's not a real person because he keeps thinking about this girl and he wants to, I guess, meet her or, mm -hmm. and then realizes she's not, she's not real. And then there's black leather jacket. And this sounds like a Billy Idol song. Mm -hmm. Like the way he's singing. I'm serious. Billy Idol could sing this song. Now, we have a fairly new band um, called Telenovela. They're out of Lockhart, Texas. Okay. And they have an album coming out October 3rd. So, the band is made up of Natalie Ribbons and Jason Cronus. I contacted Natalie on Instagram, and she gave me permission to play part of one of their new songs called Broom Horse. So, we're going to play that now. good you could hear what i'm talking about um especially new music right yeah i mean we could rattle off any 70s 80s 90s band that's been on the radio millions of times but in today's day and age it's a little tougher to get it there's a ton of options for you to get stuff mm -hmm. but it's a matter of people actually taking the effort and the time to go and find stuff. oh yeah and you know the other thing is that an artist who's been around a long time like billy idol even the Rolling Stones, mm -hmm. if you, you already have, if you know the band and you've, you already either like the band or you don't, they come out with a new album, you're probably not going to listen to it. Like if Bon Jovi came out, I'm not listening to Bon Jovi. Right. You know, there's certain bands, but the new bands you listen to and, oh, I really like that or I don't. And I, I just think people dismiss some of the older artists because they already have a preconceived yep. idea or know what they sound like. So agree. And I always try and make an effort to with, especially bands that are newer to me now, 
I try to listen to two different albums mm-hmm. because one, you could have that ballady, soft, you know, kind of not normal or not the typical album that they put out. Yeah. It might be like a one-off. Mm-hmm. Whereas if that's the only one you listen to, you might think that that's what they are and you might not enjoy their music. Whereas they could be a super hard rock band or something and you just found their one-off album. So I try to find two different albums to at least base, you know, mm-hmm. my opinion on. Yeah. So then there's um, Taylor Swift. <laughs> really? Yeah. No way. It's her Taylor's version of 1989. Is that in yellow, green, blue, So red, this album every month. Purple? <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, I've, I ordered, I forget what color I ordered. I don't remember either now. Yeah. I would say yellow, but I could but be wrong. It's only, they come out with a different color. And it's only available for 48 hours, but I don't know how many colors she's on now. Maybe number 10 or something. <laughs> I mean, Dolly Parton's doing that. I think she has like five or six different colors. But you can order, pre-order all at once. I wanted to see the colors of the rainbow. I was yeah. hoping you'd have them all. Yeah. Put them all. I'm sure there's some people that are buying all of them. I'm sure. So that's October 27th. And it's her fourth Taylor's version album. I think there might still be a couple <laughs> that she didn't re-record. And every song will be on the top ten list at some point. I'm still amazed the re-recordings are, like, to go in the studio and it sounds, I compared them, you know, and they sound, you can't tell. They're significantly yeah. different. How do you go in the, re-record an entire album and in little, she's touring right. and, and how, I don't know, she must not sleep. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's a band, I think it's been around a while, I've heard of them, the Gaslight Anthem. Oh, Yeah. The only reason I was at, I mean, I should have listened to them before, but they have a new album coming out October 27th called History Books. But there's already a song, actually, I think it's the title track, is with Bruce Springsteen. Okay. So I had to listen to that one. Yeah, they've, I can't think of it off the top of my head. They got a big hit that was out there for a while Mm -hmm. in the late 90s, maybe early 2000s. I don't know, but... And then the last one here is the Rolling Stones, of course. Mm-hmm. Hackney Diamonds. I think I just saw the release date of October 20th or something like that. Okay. But I love the new song. It's called Angry. <laughs> and they were kind of, they had some, vi- like, I don't know, it was on TikTok or whatever, like f- 10 seconds of the song until they released it the other day. Mm. This is their 24th album. And most of the songs are with Charlie Watts, because obviously they record, start recording when he right. was alive, and he passed away in 2021. Uh, Has it been that long already? That's what I have here. Wow. I remember actually going out to karaoke that night and singing a Rolling Stones song. I thought it was earlier this year. So. I, th- I thought it was more recent, too, but yeah. holy cow. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, the new drummer is Steve Jordan. So he, I don't know how many songs he does. So that's our new music. Um, and next up, we're going to get into the Kiss solo albums. Unless, Jeremy, you have anything to add to the nope. new music? Okay. No, I don't. Unfortunately, I wish. But I will say something that, I guess if the viewers don't know this, if you type in an artist into like a Pandora, sometimes Spotify, there's different apps out there. 
it can help you come across new music that is similar to your tastes in music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I found that to be a helpful tool to find mm-hmm. some bands that I don't know about. Yeah. And I think Apple even does well, something as well. Yeah. Wait, with Apple Music, what, what you have to do is pick, pick a song and play it and let it go. And it will go, it will, the next song will be similar. Yeah. You pick, you have to pick one song. You can't play, I think even when you play an album, it might then go to similar stuff too. Right. So. But that's something, you know, it's an option. If you're looking for new music and you don't know what to look Mm -hmm. for, just start with what you like and they might actually find stuff for you that you don't know about. Yeah. Yeah. I like Apple Music has, uh, it's called The New Rock, which is more like alternative rock. I put that on shuffle. There's always about 50 songs in there and they update them. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one that's more like the Billy Idols and, you know, Rolling Stones. Yeah. And that's, that's another playlist that they update. And there'll be 50, and they're new songs. Right. They're new singles coming out. Because sometimes it's so hard. If you're looking for new stuff, it's hard to listen to a new song after a new song after a new song after a new song if you're not into any of them (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it's just going to kill your mood. Whereas if you search for something, you know, you like, and it plugs in something new, even if you don't like it, chances are it's going to go back to something that you do enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's how I found telenovela is that, that new rock, it came up and, and hopefully, um, we're going to interview the lead singer soon. That'll be cool. She says, right, maybe when the new album comes out, because she, um, she told me she has two vintage stores she's running. Nice. And uh, she's a little, I think, maybe frazzled now. But until, you know, when the album comes out, might be a possibility, so. Right. Okay, so we're going to get into the four Kiss solo albums. And be, before that, I have an article, because first of all, Kiss did what no other band has since done. And I've, I've looked it up because I, there's no other band that released, you know, the band members each released a solo album right. on the same day. I mean, there's been bands that where they left the band or took a break and recorded their own solo album. What's odd is that I was thinking, I was thinking, what if the Beatles had done that? And then I found an article just today where it was mentioned that the same thing. What if the Beatles, (laughs) and I know you can't see this, but I came up with the Beatles four solo albums and I did them like Kiss. So we got John. Yep. We don't have the full name, but John, you know, Paul, George, and Ringo, of course. <laughs> nice. So that would have been interesting. For sure. And where they would have, like Kiss did with, they've got different, of course, musicians to come in. Now the Kiss, the four Kiss solo albums don't include any of the other members. Right. It's not like Ace brought in Peter to play drums. So that's what's unique is that they went their own ways in the studio and did their own thing. So I found an article before we get into all that 
of albums, bands that released more than one album in a day. So that's the closest to releasing, you know, four solo albums. And this is from Paste Magazine. This is from September 15th, 2017 by John O'Brien. And this is 10 artists who released two, uh, actually two albums. The, the number one one, I think the guy released four. <laughs> wow. But, so some of these bands I've never heard of. Right. Number 10 is a band called Islands. And they released Should I Remain Here at Sea and Taste. It's a Canadian band. And that was May 13th, 2016. Juliana Hatfield, who I know, I love her. She released uh, Juliana's Pony, Total System Failure, that's the whole name of the album, and Beautiful Creature, released January 1st, 2000. Number eight is Bright Eyes, I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning and Digital, what the hell? Oh, I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning, that's one album, and then Digital Ash in a Digital Urn. Mm. <laughs> All right. That was January 25th, 2005. And they're from Omaha, Nebraska. Elvis Costello. We've heard of him. Uh, Who? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Elvis Costello Presley. The Delivery Man. And that was with the Imposters, his band, and Il Sogno. Sogno. Released September 21st, 2004. And we have numbers... Six, Bruce Springsteen. And I remember this, 1992, March 31st, Human Touch and Lucky Town. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was kind of cool, you know, two albums in one day. And then, of course, Guns N' Roses. Yep. Can't forget, Use Your Illusion and Use Your Illusion 2. Yep. September 17th, 1991. Now, one sold, this is interesting because two sold more than one. Yep. So one sold 685,000 albums in the first week, and two sold 770,000 in the first week. And then it would be 17 years until another studio album yep. came out. Number four is Nelly. He's a, you know, St. Louis hip-hop artist. Yeah. Uh, Suit and Sweat. Huh. Those are when, two albums. When did those come out? 2004. Okay. I don't remember that. I know Nelly very well. September 13th. Country Grammar was his big album. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tom Waits, Blood Money and Alice, uh, May 7th, 2002. That's my birthday. Not 2002, but... Okay. <laughs> and these reached number 32 and 33 in the same week. And then here's a band I haven't heard of called Boris... And they're a Japanese band formed in 19, 1992 in Tokyo. And they released three albums, Urban Dance, Warpath, and Asia in the same day. And our number one is Billy Childish and the, and the Milkshakes. All right. Billy is an English painter, author, poet, photographer, filmmaker, singer, and guitarist. And his milkshake he does a lot. brings all the boys to the yard. Yeah, Billy okay. brought all the girls to the yard. There you go. Four albums. In one day. Yes. Uh, 20 rock and roll hits of the 50s and 60s. They're all cover songs. Nothing Can Stop These Men. They Came, They Saw, They Conquered. And The Nights of Trash. And it's a garage rock band. They Came, They Saw, They Conquered sounds familiar to me, actually. Hmm. 
That might be a movie, sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, and then it says that these four albums struggle to meet even triple digits. <laughs> so what's that? What, they sold like 20? What's, what's a triple digit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then pretty much after that, that was the end of the, the milkshakes. But he went on to record. <laughs> that was their demise. It was too much, too much. In one time. They had to drop the ice cream and just go down to the yeah. milk. <laughs> okay, so now we're finally going to talk about the four Kiss solo albums. Now I have this article from, it's called Rocking in the Norselands website. And it's when Kiss released four solo albums on the same day. So in 1978, the world saw one of the most extravagant album launch campaigns ever. The simultaneous release of solo albums by all four members of Kiss. So it's, you know, something that no other band has since done. Kiss was, you know, they were their own thing. They were, and they were almost, I'm not comparing them to the Beatles. But where the Beatles, people either like John, Paul, George, or Ringo, they had their own personalities. And of course, with Kiss, there were four different characters. And in 1978, I was 12 years old. So I was there when these four guys in makeup, all the merchandising, you know, the dolls, the lunchboxes, I just loved Kiss. They were almost almost like cartoon characters. I knew that, you know, they were real people, but... And then the whole mystique with the makeup. I remember getting magazines where... I remember the one, Paul's coming out of a restaurant, he's got a bandana over his face. And the whole mystery where you didn't know exactly what they looked like. Right. But I think even at 12, I knew they were real people. But there was still a mystery about them. Their contract, supposedly, with Casablanca included that they, amazingly, they, need, they had it in their contract that they had to record a solo album. Right after they made that movie, which is <laughs> Phantom of the Park, <laughs> which I, I like because of its nostalgia. I saw it on TV, and like I said, I was really in the kiss. And here's a movie, like, I might have saw, I don't even know if I saw concert footage of Kiss at that point. Wow. I don't think they were, there was no MTV. Right. I'm sure there were, you know, there were the uh, live albums, but maybe there were DVDs at the time. Not DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to be like, oh, yeah. wait. But there weren't even, yeah, there weren't even uh, VHS anything unless it was on tv right and they wouldn't be a group yeah. that you'd see on like great american bandstand or something like yeah, that. yeah yeah <laughs> now they were on uh paul lynn who was a kind of strange comedian guy mm -hmm. he i don't know if he had a tv show but there was a halloween special and i'm pretty sure i might have watched that and then they did some interviews in the makeup i don't know if i know i've seen them since but i don't know if i saw them at the time but this might, the movie might have been the first time I saw them living, breathing 
<laughs> you know, in the makeup and everything. Right. Instead of just on the album covers. I remember when the albums came out. I don't know how I heard of them. I think I, I think I bought like music magazines and stuff like that. And I don't remember buying all four at once. I would have had a paper route. Right. I remember saving money to buy albums. So, and I'm pretty positive Ace Frehley's album was the first album I bought. And I know I had all four eventually. Right. And I don't know what they cost back then. Could have been eight, nine dollars. But still to have a paper route and not making much money. <laughs> a paper, kids. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember the the one, you know, around Christmas time I would get tips. Mm-hmm. And I had I had a pretty extensive route, and I remember getting like a hundred and twenty dollars, a hundred and fifty dollars at the time in tips. Yeah, people were giving me five dollars here and there, and uh, so I did have some money of my own. I remember my dad didn't want me buying, wasting my money on albums, <laughs> and now I'm wasting my money again on albums and Funko Pops. Yeah, and Funko Pops, <laughs> but now to get signed. Yeah. Oh, and we should talk about, um, we were just, Jeremy and I were just talking about Peter Chris, uh, going to be at an autograph show, mm-hmm. uh, in October and Jeremy's going with, uh, Kristen. I don't know if I'm going to go. It's like two and a half hours from here, but I'm thinking of getting a fun co. And the week Even... before that, Ozzy is going to be signing. <laughs> yeah. Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> charging $666. Yeah. That's that's just the down payment price. Yeah. (laughs) I found, uh, I was looking for an article from 1978, and at first I couldn't find anything, and then I found the actual Rolling Stone article, and I'm going to, we're going to go into each album. I'm going to start with Gene's album. At some point, I'm going to read what this reviewer for Rolling Stone had to say, because I get the feeling he did not like Kiss. So you might get a laugh out of it. And it's an actual article from 1978. These came out September 18th, 1978. So we're looking at 45 years. Now, at the 40-year mark, they did come out with a box set. I don't know how much it cost, but it was four albums, four vinyl albums, four different colors, corresponding with the solo albums. Because we have, we've got Gene... Uh, the same artist did, you know, all four covers, and it's just with their heads, I'd say, not just their faces. And they kind of have a glow around their hair, which is cool. Like, Gene is red, Paul is purple, Ace is blue, and Peter is green. So, and I have all four CDs. I just bought the, I think I just got Paul and Peter Chris's vinyl, the original albums. Yep. Even though I have the CDs, but Gene Simmons album was my least favorite. I'm going to start with that one. And I think it's the strangest of them all. Uh, But Gene was a little strange to me. Like I said, even be like 12, 13 years old. Mm -hmm. He was kind of evil (laughs) looking to me. Like if I met him in person, I'd probably run away at at that age. Where Peter was more, um, I thought, down to earth. Like I said, I didn't get a good feel for it. Like I said, I 
it's not like I saw them on TV all the time or anything, but just their personalities, their personas. You know, Paul was pretty cool looking. He was the rock star. And then Ace, uh, I think Ace uh, got me into playing guitar, even though I still can't play that great. But, you know, he just was cool with the smoking guitars. Gene, Gene was the one that I didn't take a liking to, let's say. Yeah. I think everybody, by default, when you think of Kiss, I think you think of Ace Freely. Yeah. Or Freely, however you say it. I say freely, but I think it's freely. Yeah, I've heard it so many different ways. Yeah. I mean, Gene Simmons, too, and it's no disrespect to any of the other members. I think the guitars, you know, the smoking guitars, Mm -hmm. just obviously kiss the whole makeup and the the outfits were a big thing. That was different. The explosions, uh, the live shows. But I just think Ace, as the guitar player, was so different and out there at the Mm -hmm. time that, that I think people associate him with kiss even more so than gene simmons yeah to me i could be wrong but and now i've met ace and believe it or not he's not the nicest person no i've met paul paul is great person uh i met him once but i've seen him on interviews and gene i think has grown on me a little bit but he's still you know what it is gene and paul started kiss as a business Mm-hmm. Maybe not as a business. They wanted to be in a band, do something different, but it became a business. And I think for those two, there's a difference between being confident and cocky. Mm-hmm. And I think they're both very arrogant and cocky, whereas Paul and Peter are a lot more, to me, laid back. You mean Ace and Peter? I'm sorry, yes. Yeah. Ace and Peter. Mm-hmm. A lot more laid back. And yeah. And I think kinda... that bothered Paul and Gene that they were so, of course, Ace and um, Peter were doing drugs. Ace was alcoholic. Mm-hmm. He's since recovered. I think Peter's got his act together. They were more focused on the writing the music, the shows. And here were these two guys just, you know, I don't know, putting a wrench into everything. Right. You can tell it. there's an interview on Tom Snyder. It's it's a famous interview you can go on YouTube. And Gene and Paul are serious and Ace is doing his weird laugh. You know, they're asking him about he's asking about his costume. And he's saying, Well, I well I have a it's a V shape, you know, but you don't want to go down below there. <laughs> and then the I think Tom Snyder asked him what, what it's supposed to be and he says, I'm a plumber. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And he's just not serious. You know, and rock and roll should be fun. You shouldn't take yourself too seriously. Right. And here were four guys in makeup and costumes. I don't think they liked the term costume either. But No. Now, Gene's album, I think, is the most well-produced of all four. Yep. Uh, he's, there's orchestrated music, yeah. like strings. Which I was not a fan of. Yeah. <laughs> Now I'm going to, we're going to start with the, um, I should turn the light on. <laughs> it just all of a sudden got dark. What the hell? It was like fine in here. The studio went black. <laughs> I don't know what happened. The sun went down. I think I forgot to pay the bill. <laughs> <laughs> that was an authentic light switch that you heard. He did <clears throat> not say, you know, Siri, turn the lights on. <laughs> 
Yeah, the lights just went out. That was weird. So, um, this is from, uh, Rolling Stone. I don't know when this... I think this had to come out right when the albums came out. Um, it's called Feeble Foreplay, The Big Kiss Off of 1978. Now, Kiss were pretty much at their peak with, you know, Destroyer, Love Gun. I don't know if it did as well as Destroyer. I think they had... I think, um... What was it? Kiss Double Platinum came mm -hmm. out. Of course, the movie was like a, kind of a... <laughs> I think it was the turning point. Also, Peter and uh, Ace um, supposedly were not happy about not being featured more on the Kiss albums as far as writing uh, the songs. And ironically, Peter Chris had like the biggest hit with Beth. You know, I actually like that song. That's one I, of the few ballads that I actually enjoy. That is like my favorite Kiss song, yep. believe it or not. Yep. So anyway, um, so this guy, his name is Ken Emerson. And if you're still around, Ken, you're, I hope you're still not a dick. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gene Simmons singing bassist, Bat Lizard, and gross-out King of Kiss is probably the brains behind the group. But his album begs the question, how much brains does it really take to be the brains behind Kiss? <laughs> so can you tell he doesn't like Kiss? Less than Einstein, more than sweet potatoes would be my ballpark answer. While he definitely understands bad taste and its effective applications, Simmons here appears torn between the diligent grunge that's been his specialty and the true self he no doubt displays privately to girlfriend Cher, who incidentally appears on Living in Sin as a telephone groupie. Perhaps more than anything else, Simmons seeks respect for his notable wit. In his wittiest move, he is two of the Beatles cast for backup vocals on a couple of rubber soul type numbers. Gene Simmons also knocks off the best rock and roll song on any of these records with the extremely catchy Radioactive. For the hat trick, he executes a brilliant defense of his gross out title in Tunnel of Love, which is Tunnel of Love, Tunnel of Love. I've got to visit your Tunnel of Love. <laughs> yeah, that uh, I have a. <laughs> That, that song made my list, but not for good reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Simmons growl sings like a guy who has to pee really bad after a long car ride. In another line, he tells a would-be lover, you'll jump off the roof if I say. Now, if that isn't a rock and roll sentiment, I don't know what is. <laughs> That's his, there's a little bit more, but I'm not going to read it. So this is, I, I think the first two songs... A radioactive I like. I'm going to tell you off of each album what my two favorite are. But, and I've listened to these many times, some more than others. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you right off the bat, Ace and Peter's albums were the ones that I really liked. And I don't know why. I, don't, I listen to Peter's now and I'm like, how at 12, 13 years old did I like that? Because I liked rock and roll and, I, and it's the least rock and roll album, a solo album. Yep. So Radioactive begins with, it's, it's a maniacal laugh. This is what kicks off the album. Some dramatic, like, string section, yeah. music, chanting, and it, it's kind of scary, you know? 
And then the song kicks in. Track two, Burning Up With Fever. Gene uh, growls one, two, one, two, three, four. Then someone's playing a harp and not very good either. Right. I have here, maybe it's Gene. <laughs> then the guitars and drums kick in. My first favorite song, and then I'll have Jeremy tell me what he thinks, but See You Tonight. I think it's the best song on the album. I know. Gene, Gene it's a ballad. It's short and sweet, though, too. Yeah. So you hear Gene kind of get out of his comfort zone uh, with the vocals. I mean, and this could almost, maybe this is what this guy's talking about, could almost be a Beatles song. I was going to say, it reminded me of a Beatles song, honestly. So the lyrics, what the hell is he talking about? Did she leave her purse at his house or something? These are the lyrics. I know it's around. I don't have any doubts about that night. I'll see you get it. Get it tonight. Get what? If I can't, I'll cry and cry. You won't see me without it. What is it? And I'll see you tonight. But I know it's around. I don't have any doubts about that night. I'll see you get it tonight. And if I can, I'll cry and cry. What, what is he? I mean, it's a great song, but the lyrics are like just <laughs> weird. Yeah. And then the second song, I've always liked this song, Living in Sin. That's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> and because, you know, they rhyme sin with Holiday Inn. I mean, it, come on. Yep. I'm living in sin at the Holiday Inn. Now, I did read that they, they were going to call it that, but they thought the Hol- Holiday Inn might not like that they're in a title of a song. I don't know. <laughs> now, Cher is in this song who Gene was dating which was his girlfriend at the time. And she's a hysterical female voice on a telephone. Not hysterical, but she's, um, sounds like she's fawning over, is this really, is this really Gene? Or, like she just dialed the wrong number and got Gene Simmons. I have a little bit of info. Gene recalled that Neil, I guess it was Neil Bogart, I think he owned Casablanca Records. He was having a party at his house. And he says, I was there and Cher was there. Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis and people like that were there. He said, it was kind of a special affair. I didn't care so much for Cher. She just happened to be there. Neil went over and asked her to sing on my album because she had just signed with Casablanca. And I walked over and I apologized. He said, you know, he shouldn't have done that. If anybody's going to ask you to sing on an album, it's going to be me. And then he said, within a week or so, we were, we were much friendlier. Now, this also mentions chastity, which I don't really hear. I don't know why. Right. But I, I just thought it was Cher. And then when Gene answers the phone, he says, hello, baby, similar to the Big Bopper, Chantilly Lace. So that's one of your favorites. Of that, that was my favorite of, of the entire yeah. album. Yes. And then uh, there's the one song that's the strangest, which a lot of people talked about, I think at the time, was When You Wish Upon a Star. (laughs) (laughs) We're not talking Pinocchio. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I could see um, any of the other guys doing this song, maybe. Maybe Peter. I don't know. But Gene, such an innocent song (laughs) from the demon. The demon, right? Yep. And the song's, of course, from Pinocchio. How did this song get on the album? I hear you asking. Well, Gene first learned English when he came to America by watching Disney cartoons. 
and this was 1958, Gene was around eight or nine years old. So according to Gene, when I first heard that song, I could barely speak English, but I knew the words were true. Anybody can have what they want. The world and life can give its rewards to anyone. And then when recording the song, Gene was overcome with emotion. And according to producer Sean Delaney, if you listen, you'll hear his voice crack. Now, I've list- I went back and listened, and I really can't hear that. Mm-hmm. He said, because at one point he was crying, and I wouldn't let him re-record the vocal. Interesting. Now, the album clocks in at 39 minutes. Now, I think there's some fudging on these, on the charts, because I'm pretty sure Ace's album was the best-selling but other sources say Jeans was. Right. So I don't know if you paid off some people. <laughs> Probably. Uh, it reached number 22 on Billboard 200 albums chart, which is pretty good. One where I got this quote, I think it's Wikipedia, says it was the highest placing of all four Kiss solo albums. But on Ace's <laughs> Wikipedia page, I think it also says the same thing. Okay. So, um, now, his album had the most guest appearances. Yep. Of course, we had Cher, but we got Elliot Randall. He played guitars, and he played on Stilly Dan's Reelin' in the Years. Yeah. And he's played with other people. Backing vocal. I don't know if you looked this up, Jeremy, but we have a bunch of people on backing vocals, people I never heard of. Gordon Grody, Diva Gray, Franny Eisenberg, and one you might recognize, and it's Kate Seagal. Yeah, Katie Seagal. I just met her. Yeah. <laughs> you should have asked her about Gene. There you go. And uh, we got Eric Troyer. He plays piano and vocals on Radioactive and Living in Sin. And he's worked with anyone from Air Supply to Sisters of Mercy. Joe Perry, we know him. Yeah. Guitar on Radioactive and Tunnel of Love. Bob Seeger, backing vocals, Radioactive, Living in Sin. Rick Nelson from Cheap Trick. Yeah. He plays guitar on See You in Your Dreams. We've got Helen Reddy. <laughs> she had backing vocals on True Confessions. Donna Summer. She was on Burning Up with Fever and Tunnel of Love. And another guy that I know, Michael DeBar, uh, background vocals on See You in Your Dreams. So that's Gene's album. And that, I mean, I could give you my rankings now, but I'll give, you probably know what they're going to be. But <laughs> So Tunnel of Love, I hated yeah. that song. That was my least favorite song on the yeah. album. And I know what the what the intent of the mm-hmm. lyrics is hinting at. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, though. I heard that song, and it put me... It's probably because I knew the title of the track. Remember Willy Wonka when, when they're on the boat, mm-hmm. and they're going through that tunnel, and all that weird shit is happening, yeah. and he's, like, talking mm-hmm. in hymns or tongues or mm-hmm. whatever? I don't know. It made me think oh, of okay. that <laughs> as I was listening to that track, which mm-hmm. is so weird. Yeah. But the whole album was weird, so... This is another thing that we mentioned earlier. is With Kiss... It was about, it wasn't so much about alcohol or drugs at all, but women. Yeah. And even uh, women that were young, let's say, it was kind of innuendos. So imagine, you know, that song I talked about earlier, that hip hop song. Imagine if Kiss was just blatant, raunchy. You think this would pass, like, you think parents would let their kids listen to Kiss. That's the thing. And I think if a band like this came out today with songs like, like that, even if it was innuendo, I think there would, I think people would be outraged. Yeah. Like a song like Christine 16. So next up we got uh, Paul Stanley. 
So first of all, I want to say I think Paul has the one of the greatest rock and roll voices mm -hmm. out there. Even when you see him live, when he talks, it's a different voice he's in, you know. Yep. Everybody, I heard you're drinking tequila. You know, he talks <laughs> like that. It's sort of like Elmo. I yep. don't know what, what that is. I don't know. Because he doesn't talk like that in real life. Right. Imagine if he talked like that in real life. Oh, man. <laughs> so almost every song has the word baby, babe, or girl in it, which is nice. And the album goes back and forth between simple rock songs and ballads. I think the song Hold Me, Touch Me could be played on like the one of the Yacht Rock stations. <laughs> yes. Now, this is the only... I was trying to remember this earlier when Jeremy and I were talking off, off the record. This is the only release that has all original songs, no cover songs. Got it. It's okay. Paul's album. Okay. Um, yeah, because Ace has had New York Groove. Yep. That's the cover song. Yep. So I think the album kicks off pretty strong with Tonight You Belong to Me. And you kind of get the feeling what the album's going to be. Mm -hmm. First favorite song is track four, Wouldn't You Like to Know Me. Now, I think this could have been your standard rock and roll hit song. What's amazing is I don't think most any of these songs except New York Groove from Ace was played on the radio. Right. Which is amazing. Agreed. I mean, you got like 40 Kiss songs and you got one out of all of them. Yep. I never heard any of these songs on the radio. So this was a time where you had to be a real big Kiss fan. And you had to buy the albums to hear the songs. You weren't going to hear them anywhere else. A couple weeks after this album came out, the song Grease Lightning, believe it or not, entered the top 100. <laughs> so why couldn't any of these... Like, Grease Lightning, come on. It's a terrible song. <laughs> How did that get on the top one? And I know Grease was a very popular yep. movie. Yep. Now, the guitar intro on this reminded me somehow of Let My Love Open the Door. So this is a song about a guy who's dating some hot chick who always wants to get her away. Uh, she's got another boyfriend, but, she's, but she, she's got another boyfriend, I take it, and she's two-timing with Paul. And Paul's getting kind of tired, tired of her. And right. he's about to lock her out. And I think he mentioned something about a gate. So he's going to lock her out of the, you know, his house. The yard. Something. She could climb the gate, I guess, if she really wanted to get to Paul. Track five, Take Me Away, Together as One. I don't know, I love this song. It's, it's a mix between like Time in a Bottle and Come Sail Away or something. Here's my take on this song. I think this song's about a guy who kills his girlfriend. Wow. <laughs> he says, I can't change or rearrange what I've done. And then Paul builds a raft to get away from the authorities. He keeps saying the drift begins. See, he's on a raft mm -hmm. and he kind of, he might get off course, eaten by sharks. I don't know what's going on in this song. That's my take on it. But seriously, the song, the song's pretty good. Um, I think Paul's voice is at its uh, prime here. Mm -hmm. Now, the album clocks in at 35.10, and the album reached number 40 on U.S. Billboard album chart. All Music gave the album three stars out of five and said it is the most Kiss-like out of all the Kiss solo albums. Uh, it's so yeah. funny because yeah. you keep reading these reviews. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. This one, to me, was the closest to an actual Kiss yeah. album. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> This album uh, grew on me. Like, like I said, my favorites were Ace and Peter, so I kind of overlooked Gene and Paul. Mm -hmm. Last 
10 years or so, I've been listening, you know, to more of this. This one would have been second on my list. Jeans was mm. third. And then I did notice in uh, track six, It's All Right, the guitar riff sounds similar to Tomorrow and Tonight. I mean, you probably have to listen to it again, but off of Love Gun. Okay. Now, we only have, we have two notable guest appearances, which is Bob Kulik. Uh, he's the brother of Bruce Kulik. Bruce was in Kiss from 84 to 96 and was on five Kiss albums. This is his brother, Bob, who was, and sadly passed away a couple years ago, but I think he was more a session guitarist, Hmm. but he was friends with with the guys from Kiss, and he played lead guitar and acoustic guitar. And Carmen Apice, um, if I'm saying that right, from Vanilla Fudge, who did You Keep Me Hanging On, uh, he does drums on track five. The other odd thing, what I noticed is the drums on... Gene, Paul, and Ace's albums, I, I'm i sorry to say, but I, I feel they're a lot better drummers than Peter Chris's <laughs> album, who was the drummer. Yeah. So next we have, or did you have anything? I had a favorite yeah. song, Love okay. and Chains, that you didn't touch on. Track okay. eight. Okay. I actually didn't dislike any of the tracks on this album. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, touched on it earlier, the closest to an actual Kiss album, in my opinion. Which, it's so interesting, because his and Ace feel like the rock and roll, whereas Gene and Peter kind of felt way out of left field. Oh, yeah. Like, um, they just went and did such non-kiss Yeah, yeah. So, that was an observation I had. It was funny Mm -hmm. that it got touched on there. But um, I just, I don't know, Love and Chains really stood out to me as showcasing kind of all of Paul's talents. Mm -hmm. You touched on track five, which was another good one, but... I love, too, this album didn't feel too long, didn't feel too short. It felt like it flowed really well from start yeah. to finish. Mm-hmm. But that would have been my second favorite. So next we're going to talk about Peter Chris's album. Of course, he was a drummer. Mm-hmm. And it's probably the most different from the other three. Most of the songs are pretty soulful or just like old school rock and roll. Now, I always like Peter's raspy voice because I always... I like I said I loved Beth I loved Hard Luck Woman I love that song and I always was mesmerized by Peter's voice like I think at that when I was a kid I never heard someone like I wasn't I didn't know who Joe Cocker was or like a lot of the I knew who Elvis was right but to hear this guy with this totally different like voice and it was totally different than any of the other three members I mean, Gene pretty much has a distinct voice. Right. They all do, but I love Peter's voice. So I think this is why I I liked Ace's first and then Peter because I wanted to, I always wanted to hear more from Peter. <laughs> you know, I always wanted to hear that voice. Now, most of this album was originally written, believe it or not, in 1971 for his pre-kiss band and it I, it says lips you know he also had a band called chelsea chelsea yep and the songs were i'm gonna love you don't you let me down that's kind of that's kind of the sugar papa likes and hooked on rock and roll were written in 71 now he had the lowest charting album at number 43 now there's one cover song track three tossing and turning and it was originally done by bobby lewis back in 1961 and in 61, that song went to number one. Wow. But Peter couldn't, you know, get there. 
No. Now, I never heard of this song before. It's not one of my favorites, but it's up there because I just remember the first time I heard it and Peter singing it. You know, it's kind of, it's a fun song. Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like Splish. Splish <laughs> Splash. Splish Splash <laughs> by Bobby Darren. You know, that kind of, you know, novelty. I didn't get to sleep last night, tossing and turning. So track six is one of my favorites, Easy Thing. And it was co-written by Stan Penridge. And who's Stan Penridge? He was in Peter's band, Chelsea. Hmm. And he co-wrote Beth. Okay. Peter. Interesting. Now, I think this song really showcases Peter's voice. I think it's a beautiful song. It's a slow rock ballad. There's strings, backup singers. And I think he really sounds like he's having, like, maybe he really enjoyed singing this song. My other song that I love is I Can't Stop the Rain. And for some reason, I, I, it sounds like this song was recorded live. I can't find anything online. Uh, there's not much on these albums. No. no. I was surprised. I was too. I mean, maybe there's a book that, <laughs> there's plenty of Kiss books. Maybe they go into all the stuff. But I think this is the best song on the album. It's the last song on the album. And I would love to hear this song recorded in the studio. You know, I don't think Peter's recording anything anymore. <laughs> and I think this album is also a little strange in that Kiss, to me, was mainly... Kiss was rock and roll. I mean, Gene's album's strange. This one... And I've met... I, I just said it before, is that I, I don't know why... I, I think I took a liking, like I said, to his voice and not the songs themselves, because it was so far removed from Kiss. This was my least favorite album of the four, unfortunately, which sucks yeah. because I like Peter. I, j I couldn't get into this at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did like the last song I had, I Can't Stop the Rain, as my yeah. favorite song yeah. on the album. It yeah. it didn't feel like rock and roll. To, it almost felt like a poppy like type a, Like album. a Vegas, Vegas kind of. Yeah, uh, just... Yeah. It sucks. You know, we talked about... I'm going to be meeting Peter Chris next month. And I was like, oh, man, it'd be cool to get his albums. I wouldn't get his albums because yeah. I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. So it wouldn't have any meaning to yeah. me. I know this album sucks, but will you sign it for me? Yeah. See, I, I I'm going to sell it to someone like who actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I wouldn't do that. Yeah. But it was a shame. I was looking forward to it. This just didn't do it. For I me. think one of the worst songs is Kiss the Girl Goodbye, which is really sappy song. Which track was that? I mean, it's like Barry Manilow in the... Oh, that's right after BG's Rock Me Baby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this album is 35 minutes yep. long. Um, Which is funny, because that's the same as Paul's album. Paul felt like a perfect flow start to finish. This mm -hmm. felt, I want to say, like torture, but <laughs> difficult to get through the 35 minutes. Yeah. Now, the reviews, of course, were mostly negative, and I'm going to read one. I hate that. I oh, I forgot that. to read the Rolling Stone. Um, so we're going to skip Paul, the Rolling Stone, because okay. we're not going back. <laughs> um, not going back in time. Oh, this was the other thing, the Rolling Stone. It, he starts the article with, he's saying that Kiss are for tuna with good taste. I don't, this, this guy must be on something. <laughs> And it says, alas, fellas, Kiss don't need tuna with good taste. Kiss needs tuna that tastes good. Don't they ever learn? 
Then he says, but wait, what's the word? What's that sound? Miracle of miracles, good taste behind kiss, bad taste is even worse than what passed before. Whole new realms of revulsion from rock and roll's supreme awful majesties. Do you think <laughs> he likes kiss? <laughs> Sounds like you he need loves to write an article. Kiss. I hate kiss. Put out. I need the money. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe somebody held a gun to his head. And he says, uh, that said, it's, it'd be difficult and a little unfair to single out any one of the four kissers for worst bad taste honors. But when drummer Peter Chris, a guy who's made a million bucks wearing a silver button nose and kitty whiskers, <laughs> t tells me in his Hooked on Rock and Roll that it's been a rough road to the top, I wince with him. I also hasten to add that the further soul posturing and tossing and turning and Chris Keish classic, that's the kind of sugar Papa likes, isn't going to make the road back down any smoother. Of course, the name of the game is Get Bad. I don't know. Okay, enough of that guy. <laughs> so I do have another review. It's from All Music. Uh, called Peter Chris's album the most undistinguished of the bunch lacking hooks on either the pop metal rockers or the power ballads as well as personality throughout and again it was the lowest charting now this was the only album to have two singles released don't you let me down and you matter to me and neither one charted right yeah notable people on Peter's album are Alan Schwartzberg he's a session musician he was a musician on Tie a Yellow Ribbon, <laughs> Cats in the Cradle, and he played with anyone from Jimi Hendrix to Barbara Streisand. Anyone from those two? Yeah, okay. those two. I tried to pick one, you know, one side or the other. Yeah. So he, he played drums on three songs. So Peter didn't play drums on all these. Elliot Randall, which uh, he was also on Gene's album. He plays guitar on Easy Thing and I Can't Stop the Rain. Uh, Steve Lukather, founding member of Toto. He has a guitar solo on That's the Kind of Sugar Papa Likes and Hooked on Rock and Roll. Dave, Davey Far Farager, founding member of Cracker, believe it or not. Okay. Now, this is 1978. Not How Uncle young Cracker. was he? No, Cracker. <laughs> but Cracker was abandoned in the 90s. Right. So, what was he, like 15? Backing vocals on this. Lenny Castro, he was in Toto, played on Africa, and he also played on Eric Clapton's Tears in Heaven. Mm. He played percussion on Tossing and Turning and Don't Let Me Down. That's Peter's album. And then the last album is my favorite, which is Ace Freely. Yes, my favorite as well. I can open this. This, while you're opening that, was just rock and roll on an album, and it mm -hmm. felt explosive fun energetic it you know as an acdc fan it made me feel like when i'm mm -hmm. listening to an acdc album I yeah. just i was into it i think yeah i think from the very first song rip it out it just kicks in and i don't think there's there's one that's almost a i mean new york groove is kind of slow song yep snow blind is another song i really enjoyed I mean, I liked everything on yeah. this album for the most part, but... Now, the one thing is, I, I think lyrically, the lyrics are pretty bad on these songs. But musically, that... I mean, the drum... The drummer on this album, you know, and, of course, Ace on guitar, 
Now, I think this is also one of the most Kiss. I mean, not all the songs, but I, I, I think they could have worked them in. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about when, uh, like, when there was an Ace song on a Kiss album, it was an Ace song. And that was one of the th- things that they weren't happy about, uh, Ace and Peter. And, of course, you know, the drinking and stuff didn't help. But, you know, they wanted more of their songs in there. I, I think Peter hardly, Peter might have had one song, maybe Ace Ace might have gotten two songs on an album. Right. I don't know how many songs they wanted on an album because there's four of them, you know. Yeah. When you have four people that can, like, well, Ace also doesn't have the best voice, but it's unique. Yep. <laughs> I mean, he's not the best singer, but he 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 gives you what everything he has. And it's, his voice was always unique to me, just like Peter's. So let's see what the Rolling Stone, I'll go back to this. <laughs> see what this guy who's obviously on drugs or something has written so this guy ends the review of peter chris his little segment here with this about sums up this lp chris couldn't be worse then again he could be ace really (laughs) (laughs) who reveals in tunes such as snowblind ozone and wiped out that he's got booze and drugs on in question mark his mind much of the time musically freely illustrates this fact with a lot of pre-washed Jimi hendrix style guitar playing and some oddly appealing todd rungren like teenage space star singing in his particular bid for respectability kiss's lead guitarist eschews ballads preferring instead to crank up long instrumentals like a Veritable Sheep's Head Bay Beethoven. One result, Fractured Mirror, has a duh-hey simplicity that in other quarters might make it (laughs) Eno-esque. Only on Rip It Out, a fast record with great nasty lyrics that urge the girl to actually rip her heart out does freely get it all together, whatever it is. So there we go on that. I, I don't see the Todd Rundgren comparison at all. No. So the first song, it's it's not my favorite because it was so overplayed and I think it's still, I heard it's still played, I don't go to a lot of sporting events, but it's New York Groove. Mm-hmm. It's a great song, catchy song, but it's not my favorite. And this song was first recorded in 1975 by the glam rock band Hello. Um, it was written by English musician and producer Russ Ballard. And Russ was in the band Argent. And there's a Kiss connection because he also recorded and wrote God Gave Rock and Roll to You. I love that song. Yeah. That is my all-time favorite yeah. Kiss song. <laughs> so the guy who wrote New York Groove wrote God Gave Rock and Roll to You. And that was on Kiss's Revenge album. So this song entered the charts October 14th, 1978. It came in at 87. But it went to number 13. This was the highest placement for any single released from the solo albums. I still like the song when I hear it, but I can, you know, do without yep. hearing it for a while. Yep. Track two, Speeding Back to My Baby. Starts with some guitar and then kind of goes into a swing kind of tempo. And yeah, the lyrics aren't great, but it's a fun song. There's backup singers. And two minutes in, there's this weird, and it, I remember being a kid and hearing this, didn't, and it's a weird guitar sound. It, two minutes in, and it kind of moves from, it cuts out 
and comes back in. So that was like very unique to me. Uh, I don't know if it was a mistake. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. It's like, I do know what you're talking about, but yeah, yeah. I didn't think anything. I think it even goes to another channel. Like it would go to your left speaker. Right. (laughs) And then it like cuts out and then comes back, back in. And it is unpolished. You know, was it a mistake? It's a cool effect, (laughs) even for, you know, a couple seconds, but, and then track five, what's on your mind? Now, I love this because I always like the hook in this song. I'm all about the hook. (laughs) Where he says, I can't express the words to tell you about the feelings I got. That part, it's lovely. It's beautiful. Um, But I do have a tie because track seven, I'm in need of love. Almost a tie. I kind of gravitate more towards the slower songs uh, than more melodic. And this song, that song's mostly slow, but then in the middle, it breaks into a, like a rollicking rock mm-hmm. song. Yep. And I think these showcase more of Ace's voice on these, these songs. Did you have any favorites? Yeah. So Rip It Out, I loved. Just mm-hmm. <clears throat> right off the get-go, yeah. you know, fiery, explosive. Uh, I loved Snowblind, but mm-hmm. then... I don't know if you remember our Def Leppard ranking episode. Yeah. I had Switch 625 on my list, which was an instrumental uh-huh. off of the High and Dry album. So I know what you're saying. So I love how they ended this yeah. with the five-minute instrumental. Fractured I don't know. Mirror. Yeah, I don't know why. Like, ELO has Fire on High, where there's no lyrics. Okay. I love that song. There's a song by um, Hocus Pocus called Focus, which is mostly mm-hmm. just instrumental. That just can get me into... A rock kind of mood just mm-hmm. listening to guitar yeah. drums and no lyric don't get me wrong i love lyrics yeah but there are certain songs that can just get me on a high or a cloud mm-hmm. nine type of feeling yeah just rocking out and mm-hmm. fractured mirror definitely did that for me have you ever listened to this album before no this oh, was my okay. first time but okay. this was number one okay of the four and again it was it's funny because ace and paul to me, all of these, actually, I listened to for the first time. Mm-hmm. Ace and Paul felt the closest, like, Kiss-type albums. Mm-hmm. Gene and Peter felt, like, yeah. way out of left field, <laughs> just something totally different. I and, agree. I mean, I can... So, something I wanted... Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Well, yeah, I have a couple things. Okay. Because something I wanted to touch on... So, I love... I'll use Van Halen as an example. I love Sammy Hagar Mm -hmm. by himself, but I also loved him with Van Halen. David Lee Roth, I enjoyed his stuff by himself, also loved him with Van Halen. Steve Perry, Mm -hmm. loved his solo stuff, loved him with Journey. There's bands that, when they break out, branch off and do their own thing, sometimes they go and sound a lot different. Like To me, Sammy Hagar sounds so much different Mm -hmm. on his own stuff than he did with van halen yeah yeah but i always enjoyed everything that he released so i was curious to see what i would feel with kiss and it's interesting that i actually didn't like peter and gene because Mm -hmm. they did branch out and do something different and i ended up finding myself enjoying ace and paul Moore sounding similar to kiss i thought i would have been the opposite but i wasn't Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that was just an observation of mine that i noticed and you don't know if, if you were Say you were 25 when these albums came out, or I was 25, and had more of musical knowledge um, at that time, and were looking for something different from these guys. 
Maybe there were some adults that actually liked those more than the other ones. I don't know. For sure. Now, this album is 36 minutes. It reached number 26 on U.S. Billboard 200. Certified Platinum. Now, all these albums, when they, when they shipped them out, they shipped out a million of each album. So, as far as record sales, I think it's right off the bat, they're saying they sold a million. So, they sold... So, all four albums sold a total of four million. Right. I looked up Destroyer, and it sold... I couldn't believe it said it sold 800,000. Like, it was close to a million. Mm-hmm. So, I guess these were somewhat successful. I did read that not too long after, probably in the 80s, late, mid-80s, they were on the discount racks for, like, two bucks. <laughs> so, one distributor I heard ordered 200,000 200, albums or something. So you wonder if they were had a hard time getting rid of. Right. But they were also considered sales. Yeah. They spent, they spent two, two and a half million on merchandising and promotion of these albums. That's a lot. So I don't know if what money they made. I'm sure they made money on them. Right. Now, I, I think Gene Simmons, um, the, the charts are a little wonky. But I think Gene Simmons, like I said, fudged. Now, Gene Simmons, of course, album came in at 22, Ace 26, Peter 43, and Paul 40. So, you know, Gene, may, okay, the charts are higher than the other ones. I think they pretty much all sold the same. I think it's hard to calculate because of this. It's just an anomaly. It's just a, a weird thing to put out four albums at once. And it's almost like having a million in pre-sales. I mean, that's still considered sales. I feel like, too. But they didn't sell be. I don't think they sold beyond. Maybe over the years? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I do read that Aces was the most popular, so I think maybe over time, maybe Jeans was, like, a little bit more. I don't know. But I think now, I think Aces is pretty much considered. I think but, back yeah. then, and you could speak to this better than I can, but a lot of times, I find myself, at least... I think people recognize the lead singer by default, and I think they'll either recognize their favorite member of the band if it's mm-hmm. the guitar, mm-hmm. if it's the drums, if it's yeah. the bass. Yeah. Nowadays, we have the internet, so we can easily look it up. Who plays the drums? Who plays the bass? Yeah. I think back then, though, a lot of people probably didn't know who yeah. Peter Chris was, or Paul Stan, whatever the case may be. I, they knew who they were, but... I think it was different. Gene, by default, probably had a 10% sales increase just because people recognized the lead singer. Yeah, it was more out there, more outrageous. I mean, I don't have any facts to back that up, but yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like even when I talk to other people about music, they'll always recognize, you know, Bono from U2 yeah. or The Edge. They won't know the drummer. But they don't know who the drummer is. Yeah. I think the be- if the Beatles did that, you know, it would be more. It would be similar. It'd be who do you like the most? Maybe Ringo's album would have sold the the least, mm-hmm. and Paul might have sold. Paul or John might have sold the best. I was gonna say Paul may have been second yeah. to John, but yeah. who knows? George Harrison had some good like solo albums. John, of course, but Paul's still around, and so Paul probably sold the most albums out of any of the four. Yep. To finish this up, we have a couple notable people on Ace's album. It's uh, Now, two people are from Paul Schaefer's Most Dangerous Band, he called it, on David Letterman. 
Anton Fig plays drums. I th- I think he's an incredible drummer. I think it's I think it's the first song, uh, "Rip It Out," mm-hmm. with the you know the, it begins with great drum drums in that like yep. And he did percussion, and then Will Lee he plays bass on Ozone. I'm in need of love and wiped out. One of them, Will Lee, is in a, a Beatles cover band who I've seen. Uh, Union County Music Fest used to have a music festival every year, and it's the Fab Foe, they're called. Mm-hmm. Great, one of the great Beatles cover bands. Just all the members are totally incredible musicians, you know, note for note, yep. all that. They don't wear the suits, that's the thing. They don't put wigs on. They just play the Beatles songs. Then we got David La- uh, Lasley. He was a background sing- uh, yeah, backup singer for James Taylor. And he did background vocals on Speed and Back to My Baby, What's on Your Mind, New York Groove. And then Eddie Kramer was the producer of Ace's album. And he's worked with the Beatles, Bowie, Led Zeppelin. He's a very famous <laughs> producer. So Ace got Eddie Kramer for this. This is my ranking, as you probably figured, is Gene, Blast, then Paul, then Peter, and Ace. Only because, like I said, I, I still like Peter and Ace's albums. I like Peter and Ace better than Paul and Gene. Right. For some reason. Right. Now, I do have one last thing, and maybe we'll do this again with other, you know, if we're talking about more than one album from someone or, or, or an album. But I have this, I have my Ankyo, if you say that right, CD player, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a six disc. Okay. So we're going to see, this will be short because we're going to end this soon. But this is Mr. Ankyo's top five Kiss solo songs. Okay. He, he picked these, okay? Mm-hmm. Number five, Gene Simmons, Man of a Thousand Faces. He liked that one. Number four, Ace Freely, Rip It Out. Okay. Number three, Peter Chris, Easy Thing. I'm not making these up because that was like one of, <laughs> one of my favorites. Two, Paul Stanley, It's All Right. And number one, Mr. Ankyo says, the best song of all four albums is Fractured Mirror by Ace Freely. Nice. Thank you, Mr. Ankyo. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's you, good taste. Yeah. You know... When I was growing up, my dad always wanted to go see Kiss, and he wasn't a big Kiss fan by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. But something I've learned over the years, I feel like people, you touched on this at the beginning of the episode, I think people came to conclusions without actually giving it a fair shake. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people see the makeup and the costumes, and they either are turned off by it completely, or they're totally intrigued by it. Yeah. That they're an over-the-top fan, in a sense. I think Kiss is one of those bands that people either love them or they hate them. Oh, I yeah. don't hear a lot of people in the middle. No. They're like, ah, they're okay. Like, Yeah. Yeah, they either think uh, they're clowns, they can't play their instruments, their songs are bad, or they love them. Yeah. Or all their songs sound the same. I always hear that, and I'm like, you know, you can say that with any band, because well, you, a, a band yeah. typically gets a sound attached yeah. to them. Well, like ACDC. And I've mentioned it before. I think it was um, the ongoing joke about the drum line. <laughs> no, it was um, Angus. Angus Young, you've got 20, 20 albums out now, and they all sound the same. And Angus is like, 
No, we have 21 albums and they all sound the same. Yeah. <laughs> yep. They corrected them. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Hope uh, we uh, made you laugh a little or educated. We educate ourselves sometimes too. I'd say check out yeah. the albums too. It was yeah. fun to listen to these at least once mm-hmm. for such an iconic band, something that I personally had never, I, I've heard a couple of the songs here yeah. or there mm-hmm. um, just from exploring, but I've never listened to them top to bottom. Found it pretty, I don't want to say amazing, but I was fascinated with the the fact that every album was about 35 to 37 minutes long. They yeah. all stayed oh, yeah. in a certain time frame. Yeah. That was odd to me. Yeah, like they had a certain time at, to record at yeah. the studio. Yeah. But I'd check them out at least once. Give them, yeah. you know, a fair listen and see what you think. Now, when this podcast comes out, it's going to be after the 18th, I can tell you that. But, you know, still, yeah, give them a listen if you got time. Thanks for listening today. We really appreciate everybody that is listening to us talk about something we love, which is music. And I also want to give a shout out to Jeremy's podcast, Harakon Lounge. Lounge. Yes. Thank uh, you. He does with his, I guess I can say it. Now girlfriend. Now yeah. girlfriend, Kristen. Assuming in whenever this releases, we're still together. It's all about horror movies. <laughs> they started doing interviews. Yeah. I think it's. Theirs is uh, like every two weeks, and we're trying to do this one, like two a month, one interview, one regular. Sometimes we'll do three, at, at, but depending on time. But we just love doing this, talking about music. And uh, so remember, turn off the TV. And turn up the music. You've been listening to No Good Music, intro and exit music by the band 99%. Today's show is produced and edited by Rob J. Lilly and recorded at the Did You Say 7 Studios in Washington, New Jersey. You can find No Good Music on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Pandora, and almost anywhere you listen to podcasts. The song Broom Horse was used with permission from Natalie Ribbons from the band Telenovela from their upcoming album, Poets Tooth.